0: Sports Radio 92.9, The Game, back at it, Chuck show. Final hour of the program is the start of the Brown Liquor Music Hour. Chuck Rhodes gets first request. So, this is not Ice Cube. No. Because this is I. but this is the song. That he sampled. That he sampled yep. for It Was a Good Day. Yep. Um, this is the Isley Brothers. Yep. Um, so, um, this is the, so we. We kind of tied it all in together, right? Yeah, Right. yeah. yeah. So we got we got for the, his birthday. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice Cube's birthday today, but um, Ice Cube not necessarily Brown a music. No, or, no, no, of, no not know, really. Not, not
1: one of the greatest there. concerts I've ever seen, though. Him, uh, he was our he was our headliner for homecoming when my freshman year at Morris really? Brown. Yeah, this was right after he broke off from N.W.A. Really? So we were like one of the first places that got to see him w- when he cut off the the Jerry curl and. Man, the gym he performed in our gym because we had one of the biggest, bigger gyms, and uh, man, that place—the roof blew off that place, man. That was—it was a great homecoming concert.
0: That uh, you, you know, it's funny. Um, just the idea of seeing somebody—I don't want to say before they became famous, but just when 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 you see an artist like that right. get, getting started, mm-hmm. it kind of sticks with you, right? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, just the idea of hey, you know, they weren't. They weren't what they would become exactly, you know, and they were obviously, you know, he was. I mean, again, he was obviously world famous from being in NWA, and like it or not, he was one of the most controversial, yeah, you know, artists because of being associated with NWA, yeah, definitely. But, um, but still, I mean, you know, it's it, it that's cool, it's like a cool story, like yeah, when, yeah. when you talk about the idea of, oh, yeah, I saw him back then, yeah, you know, yeah. like I saw him back then, see, that's what I say about. So I saw the Rolling Stones uh-huh. in nineteen eighty nine. Now yeah, okay. obviously obviously they had been around for at that point, what, over twenty five years? Right. I mean, I mean, they obviously formed in the early sixties or whatever. So they'd been around for over almost thirty years probably to that point. Right. Right. I mean, almost thirty years. But looking back, like I felt like I got prime Mick and Keith and all that.
1: Yeah, cuz they right. were what? Probably what still in their what? 30s, 40s? Oh, no no
0: no 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 no. No. By no. then
1: 89?
0: Oh, let me see. What what year was? Mm-hmm. I bet they were probably I'd say at least I, 40s. I, I, I bet they would probably in their it probably in their 40s. Yeah, I'd say 40s. Um, Mick Jagger was born in 1943. So he, been, yeah, so he would have been yeah. So he would have been he would have been forty six years old. That's yeah.
1: relatively still. I mean, no, no. I, I
0: you know I mean again not in their thirties, but I mean, but still, you know. Again, Mick Jagger at forty six years old was moving and grooving yeah, like, like he was twenty five, like exactly. twenty five year olds. Yeah, and and obviously again, it was so great. Keith Richards had a cigarette in his mouth the whole <laughs> concert. So I mean, he had a lit cigarette, and he was just dragging a lit cigarette. The, the whole concert, so it was fantastic. So I mean, again, but you know, it's not like I I have seen you know the Rolling Stones when they're ninety years old, right? Or you know they're you know like as original of a lineup as you could because again it right. was it was Mick, it was Keith, it was Ron Wood. I mean, mm-hmm. it was Bill Wyman, Charlie Watts. So that was that was the Rolling Stones. Right. You know, now again, you know Charlie Watts is dead, Bill Wyman's dead. So it's not quite the same if you see right. the stones, right? Right, and, and that's the thing about it is that you know I I, I don't want to say I saw them in their prime, but I mean I felt like I saw them. You
1: still saw good energy, exactly. Like stones. I saw them at yes. a time
0: when they were still a a high quality band, mm-hmm. not kind of where they're at now when they're all in their 80s and half the band is dead. Right, and, exactly. You know what I mean, yeah. Like, I I like I I told I told my boss the other day I was like. I was like, man, I should have seen, I should have gone to see the Eagles in that Hell Freezes Over uh, concert mm-hmm. because, again, I would have gotten all of the e- Now, again, I know that the Timothy B. Schmidt era is different, but still, than the, the Don Felder era. But, I mean, that was, you know, the hardcore lineup. Now, if you go see the Eagles, it's uh, Glenn Frey's dead. Right. Like, it's not the it's Eagles. It's not the Eagles. Yeah. yeah. Right. and. You know, uh, Fleetwood Mac was touring mm-hmm. with without Lindsey Buckingham and um, what's her name? Um, uh, oh God, Christie McVie. Because obviously, Christy McVie is dead. So I mean, if I went and saw the if I went and saw Fleetwood Mac, which by the way, I saw Fleetwood Mac in concert, and that was one of the best concerts I've ever seen in my life. That was Christie McVie. This was they had gotten back together, right? Um, you know, and this was. Well, I saw them twice in concert when they first got back together for that behind the music and all that. And they and mm-hmm. they came back together and they started touring. Right. And then I saw them like in 2015, I believe it was Robbie, Robbie Rosenhaus and I went and saw them. And those were some of the two best concerts I've ever seen in my life because it was the Buckingham Knicks Fleetwood Mac. It was, you know, it was uh, uh, Stevie Nicks and Christine McVie and mm-hmm. John John McVie and Fleet Mc Fleetwood and um, uh, 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 Lindsey Buckingham. So, like, that was the group. But now, you know, Lindsey Buckingham's been fired. Christine McVie's dead. So if you see Fleetwood Mac, it ain't Fleetwood Mac. Right. I mean, not when you substitute. I I forget who the guy is that they they had as their lead singer. But, you know, again, having somebody else sing Go Your Own Way, you know, on stage, that's not Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah, that's not really my cup of tea. So you, you get a chance to see some of these bands. So the idea is that you saw a guy like a guy in Ice Cube that right. you know was just kind of starting into his solo career and yeah. getting started. And that's a cool thing to have seen. Yeah. yeah. Um, in that. Yeah, but,
1: it it really was.
0: But I'm sure that that was a that was a good and a, a fun concert. Yeah, so. and
1: especially for a college kid, you know. So. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know. So. All
0: right, Braves uh, do win 8-3 to three tonight. Um, Smith-Charver gets the win, five and two-thirds of three-run ball, six hits, six strikeouts, couple of home runs that he gave up. He pitched uh, 99 pitches in the uh, game. Tonkin uh, got the save. He was fantastic. Three and a third innings, one hit, six strikeouts, and one walk. Uh, he was fantastic in 45 pitches. So great job by him. Um, and look, the Braves beat up a bad baseball team. Now they need to do this three more times. should be three more of these games. Sweep the Rockies out of here. They're bums. um I haven't seen what the um uh I haven't seen what the uh Phillies and everybody's doing uh right now. Let's see real quick here too because let's see what um what the Phillies or what have you are doing um. Phillies Phillies are up 5 to 4 on the Diamondbacks. They beat the Diamondbacks, I should say, 5 to 4. The Mutts did not play, so the Braves will pick up a half a game on the Mutts and they'll stay 8 games ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies. So, good news all the way around in Braves country uh tonight. So, Alex Smith Sharver or AJ Smith Sharver, I should say, he gets the victory and um uh, they win 8-3 uh, to three with 11 hits uh, in the game tonight. So, all right, let's uh, grab a college football roundup. It's time for the college football roundup. A complete look at all the collegiate football action. Sports Radio two nine. the game. You know, looking at this 2024 conference schedule for the SEC, it, it is very interesting. I mean, you know, they've done Alabama no favors. They get Auburn, Georgia – South Carolina and Missouri at home. And they have to go to LSU, Oklahoma, Tennessee and Vanderbilt. Now that's a tough schedule. That's that's tough times. How about Vanderbilt? Okay? Vanderbilt's got Bama at home, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas at home. And then they go to Auburn, Kentucky, LSU and Missouri. It's not a very easy schedule for themselves as well. Look, I like what the SEC has done here to ramp up the competition. So, Oklahoma, they've got Bama, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas at home. They'll go on the road to Auburn, LSU, Old Miss, and Missouri. That's a good schedule. Texas will have Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, and Mississippi State at home. They go to Arkansas, to Oklahoma, to Texas A&M and to Vanderbilt. Now, what I like about this schedule in particular. First off, they keep the Red River Shootout intact, which they were always going to do, but still the idea of seeing the Red River Shootout, that's where that, that game is in the Cotton Bowl. We talk about Georgia and Florida. You know, Oklahoma, Texas in the Red River Shootout. That's one of the unique games in college football because that's a neutral site game. So they normally play that at the Texas at the Cotton Bowl during the Texas State Fair. So that's another unique game. So I love the fact that they're going to keep all that in place, but I love the idea that they have besides Oklahoma that they have Arkansas and A&M. So they partner them back up. First off, A&M Texas should never have gone away. That rivalry should never have gone away. That was always the Friday after Thanksgiving. That was always right after Thanksgiving that that game was played. That rivalry should not have gone away. But what I love most is the idea of Arkansas and a and That's the old Southwest Conference, yeah. which, again, I have said, the old Southwest Conference is the greatest conference in college football history. Look, at one point, every single program in the Southwest Conference other than Rice was on NCAA probation every cuz the old Southwest Conference is every school in Texas plus Arkansas
1: yeah SMU SMU matter Texas of fact,
0: Texas Tech Texas A&M Baylor yeah. Houston uh Arkansas yeah. was in that conference um what I say I said Baylor SMU mm-hmm. uh who's
1: who's the schools Did that You say, you said TCU
0: uh, TCU, TCU was yeah, yeah TCU was was in it, A yeah. and was in it. So yeah. every school in the state of Texas mm-hmm. plus Arkansas that- and every and, and Rice. I mean Rice is in in Houston, right, right uh, outside of Houston, but right or no is is Rice outside of Houston or Dallas? Right, Rice is outside of Houston, is it not?
1: I think so because TCU is closer to Dallas, isn't yes. it? Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. But every school in the Southwest Conference besides Rice was on NCAA probation. That They were the greatest cheater conference in college sports history, and that's how I like it. I want all the oil guys to kick in money and cheat like crazy. That's what made that conference so great. That's why I love that conference so much. Um, Auburn, home with Arkansas, Oklahoma, A&M, and Vandy, and they go on the road to Bama, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri. That's a tough schedule. That's a tough eight-team schedule to have to play. Um, LSU, Bama, Old Miss, Oklahoma, Vanderbilt, and they go to Arkansas, Florida, South Carolina, and A&M. So I I think the I think the SEC, and we talked about Auburn, Florida, Miss State, Tennessee for Georgia, at Alabama, Kentucky, Old Miss, and Texas. So again. They were always going to take Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas, and try to partner them up somehow to introduce everybody to, okay, this is big boy SEC football. We're gonna have Oklahoma, Bama, and we're gonna have Georgia and Texas, right? Oh, and by the way, we're gonna get Oklahoma or sorry, we're gonna get Alabama and Georgia playing because again, the way that this work is every you'll play every team twice in a four-year. You'll play every team in a home-and-home over the course of four years. That's how it should be. I I have no problem with that. I don't want nine conference games. And the reason I don't want nine conference games is because I like the fact that the SEC and ACC hook up for five games at the end of the year, and they keep that regional rivalry, right? So again, it's Florida-Florida State, Georgia-Georgia Tech, it's Kentucky and Louisville, it's Um, what's what I'm missing? South Carolina Clemson, right? Like there, those are, those are games that I want to keep in place if nothing else for the regional rivalry of them and, and the in-state rivals of some of those games. I like that idea. I I like that. I like, listen, I like when Florida plays Miami and Florida state. Mm, Those team, those three teams should play each other every year. It should be that round robin of, of, you know, of, of the, you know, state of Florida. Florida, Florida State, and Miami should play each other every single year. So, I like that about. So, I don't want to take that away. Again, we're losing enough tradition without, you know, having to, you know, muck up the schedule and everything like that. So, I like the idea of keeping those games intact. Because if not, you're probably going to take those games away. Because, again, at some point, you're going to have to play a couple of cupcakes. Sorry. I mean, but. Again, you're going to play East Tennessee technical, and and you're going to play um, Ohio Valley making, you know, tees or whatever. And Those are games,
1: honestly, and I know they're they're money makers for the small schools, but I I really wish they would get rid of those games.
0: Well, again, to yeah. your point,
1: I, I get it. I know. They, they,
0: I know. They're, they're, it's just too much money for those schools to yeah. look. You get a million dollar check to go get your brains beat in. Okay, yeah. fine. I can I can build my weight room. I can I can put new uniforms on. <laughs> yeah. I mean I mean again, those schools need that because where else they're going to get the money? Yeah, no, I, mean, I, than, I totally get other than get their it. donors, I, I mean totally other than their donors, I mean you know they 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 need those that those checks
1: coming in. Yeah, well, can we limit them to like maybe just one per year for for the big schools? Well, you
0: know, again, they do have a rule in place that you can't to become bowl eligible, you can't play, you can't count more than one Division II school right. as a win. On your record, right? right? So if you're going to get to six wins in a bowl game, you can't have two wins be a Division II right. school. So, uh, yeah, they're doing some of that. But, again, you know, for instance, Alabama does not want to play UAB. Right. I mean, they don't they don't like playing UAB because UAB's been good a few times and yeah. you know, could potentially beat, beat them, them. But yeah. they don't like playing the idea of UAB and Alabama hooking up. But, again, you know, letting an Alabama state and Alabama play one another. Like I, I, I would like that just because again, I, I understand what the financial and economic structure of those small schools are. Yeah, they need that check.
1: No, I get it. I went to a small school, so I yeah. totally get it. It just, I don't know. It's hard to watch.
0: Well, I mean, again, it's a glorified scrimmage, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. get a chance to, you get a chance to play a lot of guys in a game like that yeah. without the fear of losing, right. right? Yeah. Like without without fear that you're going to lose. You get a chance to see a lot of guys lower on the depth chart. That's true. That's true. You get get them in a game situation. Yeah. You get to see them. You really let them get the reps. Right. And and coaches get to put film of these guys and and have the tape available, Mm -hmm. but without the fear of losing a game. Right. Right? Because you're not going to play your third-string freshman linebacker Against LSU and, you know, if you're in Alabama, I right. to play him against LSU unless everything goes wrong, right? Yeah. yeah so again, yeah. the only time you get to see him is when you play Toledo Technical or whatever. Right? right? I mean that's that's how you see them. Yeah. So anyway, all right, very simple. 404 7260929. 404 726 0929. Will Desmond Ritter have a minimum four hundred and seventy five attempts this upcoming season? Minimum 475 attempts. Are you taking the over or under in that? 475 attempts for Desmond Ritter. Chuck Green the Kia Studios, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
1: It's much harder to go.
0: Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back at it, Chuck show All right, so is this another tie-in?
1: No, I don't remember anybody else using this. Is this a remake?
0: No. So this is um, I Just Called to Say I Love You, right? right? Stevie, yep. All right. um, I had Gilda Radner as one of my ten funniest women of all time. Right, right, right. This is isn't this from?
1: It wasn't a the movie. The Woman in Red. Yes, the right? Woman, the in, woman red, in Red yes, with Kelly with the, LeBrock and Gene and Wilder. Gene Wilder, yes. But
0: doesn't isn't Gilda Radner in that movie?
1: You know what? I didn't see that because I was young, so I don't believe I wasn't allowed to go see a movie like that at the All time. I right, did well, see The Woman in Red. But I, I remember the movie because he did didn't Stevie did most of the soundtrack. Yeah, and that's why I'm familiar with the movie. Yes,
0: Gilda Radner is in The and Woman she in is Red. In, okay, yes. yes. Okay. So, um,
1: haha! <laughs> Say, so I just
0: let's see. co-stars Gilda Radner. I'm trying to see what 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 the role that she played was. But but it was so. Gene Wilder has this, you know, Kelly LeBrock, who's from Weird Science, right? Uh, formerly Mrs. Steven Seagal. She's Steven Seagal, yep. yeah. Um, but she was in that movie, and and she was the object of, of Gene his, Wilder's uh, desires. Yeah, but. Gilda Radner was like after him. I mean, like Gilda Radner
1: was. So she wanted him, but he wanted Kelly LeBrock. Yes,
0: yes. She's Ms. Milner in the okay. uh, in the movie. Um, he wanted Kelly LeBrock. Um, but they but Kelly Le, but, uh, sorry, Gilda Radner and Gene Wilder were married in real life. Okay. So. And by the way, it's just Gene Wilder's birthday the other day. Wow. Okay. I mean, one of the funniest people of all time. Yeah. The stuff that he did with obviously Richard Pryor is just yeah. legendary. I mean, again. To this day, Stir Crazy Stir is crazy, yep. just magnificent. Yep. Like, that is so good. Silver Streak's a great movie mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, they did so much good work uh, together with those two. But anyway, so that's so see, we tied, yeah, in yeah, another, we tied in another Yeah, yeah. we tied in another year. let see if I can keep going 10, here. So. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even. Yeah, I mean, you're a poet, and didn't know it. You know? I mean, you, you didn't even know what was going on with it at all. So, all right, 404 726 0929. 404 726 0929. That is the phone line. Look, I'm asking a very simple question. Do you think Desmond Ritter throws it at least 475 times this year? Now, a couple of things. Um, we know that the Falcons were one of the least passing teams in the entirety of the NFL. Uh, Marcus Mariota had 300 passing attempts, Desmond Ritter had what? I think it was 116 passing attempts. In his uh, four games. Yeah, I games. think it
1: was 115. It was
0: 115-116. Okay, so yeah. it was uh, it was 115. So if you think about it, if you think about the fact that, that Marcus Mariota threw it 300 times in 13 games, Desmond Ritter had almost half that number in four games. Now, Desmond Ritter's pace would have been for 488.5 attempts on the season. So... I, I still take the under when all of a sudden now I I didn't ask you. You mm-hmm. take the over or the under?
1: Uh I'll take the under, but I think he can get close. I think they I think they may be good. Just because of the the the, the, the the, um, the weapons right. This is just right. how they can use, particularly Bijan and Tyler Argier out of the backfield. It doesn't just have to be run right. handoff right. run. Absolutely. You know, it could be quick passes to them yeah. out and, of the backfield. And, and they're
0: gonna and they're gonna throw it to Bijan Robinson right. a lot, right? So
1: I I, I, I say under, but I, I I don't think it can be too far off.
0: So I, I I take the under. Mike Bell took the under. Carl took the over. Look, I still don't think they're going to put the pressure of throwing the football around on Desmond Ritter's shoulders. Um, obviously only the four game sample size this past season. And while again, it was a pretty good number of attempts for four games, I, I it's not a matter of taking the ball out of his hands because I don't think he's gonna be as reckless with the football as what Marcus Mariota was. But I don't I don't know that they believe that he's the quarterback. He's not Matt Ryan at this point. Right. Right? He's not ready right. to he's not ready to throw it, you know, six hundred times the way Matt Ryan was throwing it in his, you know, in his later years. Now, what's interesting about Matt Ryan when you, look at, when you look at his numbers, his first two years in the league, 434 attempts, 451 attempts. Well, obviously, that's the Michael Turner years, right? And, and they, were, they were 20 and 10 in those two seasons. But he, he threw it barely 450 times in his first two years. But then by year three... That number, and, and that 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 gets you into Julio, right? Okay, that number went from 451 to 571. And then the next year, it was 566. Then you start to get into his prime and the 2012 season. 615, 651, 628, 614. That's when you start to get into his real prime years. And then the, the Super Bowl year, believe it or not, he only threw the football 534 times. 534 times or 11-5. and five. His touchdown percentage was the best in the NFL as far as percent of his throws for touchdowns. He had the 38 touchdowns on 534 attempts. But I don't think they're going to ask Desmond Ritter to, number one, not only just not huck it around, but the idea of being a guy that forces the football around. I think he's going to have high percentage throws. I think it's going to be throws that are high percentage, high accuracy types of throws. Maybe take some shots downfield when the moment calls for it, but not be reckless with the football. And that was one of the things, obviously, that really hurt the Falcons last year was how reckless Marcus Mariota was with the football. So I don't think that they ask that of Desmond Ritter. So I'll still take the over, or sorry, I'll take the under, even though he was on pace for 488 throws. I don't think it gets to that. I I think he's in that maybe 450 kind of range, the way Matt Ryan was in the first couple of years of his career. Yeah, that if they if they really lean on their offensive line, which is also a very run oriented offensive line, like we still don't know if Caleb McGarry can be an effective pass blocker. We don't know what Matthew Bergeron is going to be as far as pass blocking goes. I think he'll be a good run blocker because he's got the physical size and attitude to do it, and I think he'll move people off the line of scrimmage, but I don't know what kind of pass blocker he is, and especially playing a new position. And Drew Dahlman. So I think that when you look at the pass blocking of this offensive line, that's where I have my concerns about what they are, are or can or going to be at the end of the day. And I, I still think that that is up in the air about how good that group of guys are. I know they can run block, and they're one of the best offensive lines at run blocking in the league, but I don't know what they are in pass blocking. So I don't think that they risk that at the, you know, for, for the sake of having Desmond Ritter hucking around more. And that's why I say, look, Drake London had led the team with, I think it was 107 targets last year. I don't think that number goes up. I think that number stays flat or goes down because, A, you're not going to throw it all that often still. Two is you're still going to have the Pitts and John Smith and guys like that that are going to get the football in their hands. So just by attrition with all the guys that they have to throw to, Bijan and everybody, they probably aren't going to have his uh, attempts or tar- I should say targets really increase all that much. Because, I mean, again, you don't anticipate the idea of, Kyle Pitts being injured or anything like that. So, I'll take the under. I don't think it'll be drastically under. They won't be, you know, 400. I mean, they were, what, 415 attempts this past season. I mean, that, I think that was the second lowest next to Tennessee in the NFL. I don't think it's going to be that kind of low, but I still don't think that they're going to get close to 500. I think it maybe is 450 when all is said and done. And if he can be 450 attempts, be, let's say, 2,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, because we think that they're going to be an elite red zone team, then that's fine. I think they'll win a bunch of games. I think they'll win 9, 10, 11 games when all is said and done. If he, if he has that kind of year, 2,500 yards, 66% completion, 25 touchdowns on 500, or sorry 450 uh, pass attempts, I think that, that would be plenty for their offense. And they'll be a really good offensive unit, especially if they're that kind of red zone offense that we keep talking about, 67% in the red zone. So I don't think it's too drastic, but I still think at the end of the day that Desmond Ritter isn't going to get to that kind of number. Um, and he may never be a quarterback that throws it 500 times in a season, right? He may never be that kind of quarterback that you see throwing it five or 600 times. Like that's usually used for guys who have to, who have to. They have their offense has to rely on a hardcore passing attack. That's your Matt Ryan's and your Aaron Rodgers and and guys like that. Pat Mahomes, I mean, and I don't even know. Like, let me see what Pat Mahomes, what his highest uh, attempt uh, season is. Uh, Mahomes threw it six hundred and fifty times over the last two years because they're they're an attacking offense, but. Again, even his even his first full year, not his rookie year because he only threw it thirty five times, but five hundred and eighty attempts. Now they do that short passing game that Andy Reid likes and all that kind of stuff, and they got tons of weapons and they turned it over to him and all he did was throw fifty touchdown passes. How about that? How about your first full season, you're twelve and four with fifty touchdowns. Crazy. And the M V P of the league. Is that right. good?
1: That was year what to his, for,
0: that was his first full year. In yeah, the NFL. but I mean,
1: as far as his year, that was his uh, second year
0: in. Yes, it was his second. It, uh, it was sophomore his true, year. Yeah, it was his true second year. Yeah. but he only played. He only he, he only played in one game in his first year. Right, right. Remember that was the Alex Smith. Right. where he sat behind yep. Alex
1: Smith. That's right. So yeah. he only
0: he only threw thirty five passes. He had one start, I think that was at the end of the year when they clinched a playoff spot. Mm -hmm. One start, 22 of 35, but then the second year in his first full season, 16 starts, 12 and 4, 50 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Is that good? That's great. Think he's not the best player in the NFL? All he did last year was throw 41 touchdowns and 12 picks. Oh, and he threw for 5,250 yards. But see again, you can do that with, with those kinds of guys,
1: right? Yeah. And don't forget he won a Super Bowl too.
0: Oh, he did? Yeah. Well, they, they again, it's all because of their offense. They weren't a very good defensive team. Oh, like no, they couldn't they, sack the quarterback or anything no, like that, no. right? I
1: mean, dude, they were only like the number two oh. they were like. They oh, they were, were number terrible. two. Yeah, they were oh, only like okay. number two. They were well,
0: I mean, the number one sack team probably <laughs> the number one sack team in the league probably didn't go very far.
1: Though. Yeah, I mean they uh, I think they played in the Super Bowl. What? So yeah, huh? they might have made it to the Super Bowl as oh, well. Okay. <laughs>
0: Uh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers, a Aaron's highest uh, attempt total, six hundred ten. He had four hundred one completions on six hundred ten attempts back in two thousand and sixteen. But over the last few years, he's the last three years, he's he's averaged about five hundred thirty attempts per year, which is still a pretty big number when all is said and done. But I don't think that they, I don't think that they'll get to four seventy five with Desmond Ritter. All right, one more segment to go. JR Sports Brief coming up at the top of the hour. Check with the Studios on Sports Radio ninety two ninety Game and the Odyssey.com app. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Brown a Music guy rolling right along. Is this, is this called Feel So Good?
1: No, this is Sweet Thing. Oh, Sweet Thing. Sweet okay. Thing, yeah.
0: Um, 404-726-0929. Uh, back with you tomorrow on uh, Friday. Uh, Braves did win tonight, 8-3, by the way. Um, Do you know who Dixie Carter is?
1: I feel like I've heard the name.
0: So... So I'll, I'll try to make this as, as brief as I can. Dixie Carter's parents mm-hmm. were the two people that started. Uh, her dad, really, Richard Carter, was the guy who started Panda Energy, okay, okay. an energy company in right. Dallas, Texas. Well, Panda Energy became the money people for TNA. When, when Jeff Jarrett was oh, running okay. out of money, when he was running out of money, Panda Energy became their financier, right? Right. Uh, Robert Carter, I should say. Robert Carter founded uh Pan Energy. And then that became a whole debacle. Um and they made Dixie, who was basically an an ad executive, because she hooked up Jeff with her mom and dad, but Dixie Carter was
1: Oh, she's the chick from Designing Women. No. Huh? Not that Dixie no, no, Carter? No, no. no. That oh, that's,
0: the, the, that's the that's the that's how Holbrooks wife. why. Oh no. I was about to say. Dixie Carter Dixie Carter was the I don't want to say owner because it was always Robert Carter's ownership, his right. money, but she owned TNA. Okay. Right, after Jeff Jarrett and and she was she was the so she became sort of like the on-camera commissioner and some different things like that. Yeah, was, I see her now. She yeah. became a personality and all that. But okay. it's but her family was the financer financer for for TNA. Okay. Um when Jeff Jarrett was running out of money. Um again, the the and Panda Energy is a billion dollar. Now they're no longer around, right. But Panda Energy was a billion dollar company. So, so they they were the financiers for for them. Dixie Carter loved to be on TV, and there's a lot of great stories. If you listen to Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Jeff Jarrett, um, Vince Russo, um, Jim Cornette, you know when they were all there at TNA. Like, they talk about the fact that Dixie Carter was so infatuated with being on TV that she thought she would be like the real housewives of Nashville, right? So this is funny. Um, A former TNA star says that Dixie Carter wanted to be Stephanie McMahon so badly that it turned people away from television. Angelina Love spent years working in TNA under Dixie Carter and speaking in a new interview with Steve Fall of WrestleNews.com, she spoke about the circumstances that led to one of her departures in 2012. Um, it was a change in management that was the catalyst for that. If you, if you have 14 girls on the roster, Vince Russo is going to make sure that like 10 to 12 of those girls, if not all of us, are somehow incorporated on the show. So it was always very fair I will just say this because they were not they were not fond of me and I was not fond of them. Eric Bischoff and Bruce Pritchard uh, once they came in and kind of got an once they kind of came in and got at like an office position, it was just like for me anyway, they were so nice to me before they had any kind of position and then once they got into position, they would just walk by me like they had never saw they never saw me. They changed up so much stuff, and then it did become like at least 40% less people that were always on the shows before this, thing blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, where's the Dixie Carter part uh, out there? Uh, let's see here. So Dixie Carter at the time uh, during all this, she was the one in charge of TNA, and according to Angelina Love, Carter took bad advice on how to run her promotion instead of featuring the talented roster – Carter put herself on screen in increasingly prominent roles, and love in be- love believed she wanted to emulate the on-screen success of Stephanie McMahon. I heard of a situation where Eric Bischoff, that is, had a conversation with Dixie Carter in the offices that really made her flip a switch, and it went less from kind of a kind of a cozy family-like, family-ish like nice vibe backstage to being cold, like heartless, just kind of like gray and vibe kind of vibe and it was like everybody could feel it. No one liked it. She definitely had the wrong people in her ear giving her very bad advice, and we'll just see where she took that, and she went off in her own world. So I had heard this before, but, you know, again, Stephanie McMahon was, you know, great on-screen heel character. I'm like, she was pretty good. I mean, I'll give, her, I'll give Stephanie McMahon credit. She, she played her role really well, but it is kind of funny because, you know, when you try to emulate people in wrestling like that, you usually fall on your face, and Dixie Carter was not a good performer. I mean, she was, and I, I saw Dixie, when I, when I went to a TNA show, I saw Dixie, she came out on stage, and, you know, she was like the commissioner, and, you know, she wanted to be, and again, you could always tell that she was like forcing herself on television it, right. instead of just coming naturally. You know, instead of it just coming naturally to her, she was always kind of forced. But again, you can do that when you're the boss's daughter, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, when sure. you when yeah. you know you're the daughter of the person who's putting up all the money, you can do that. And and again, by that time, Jeff Jarrett was losing all of his power and influence and everything like that in there. And when they brought Hogan and Bischoff and those guys in, you know, that was paid for by Spike TV. Um, you know, they kind of did a lot of crazy things like that. But they fed into her ego about putting her on TV. But it is funny that. You know, I, I've heard these stories before about Dixie Carter and how she really wanted to be an on screen character. She wanted to be an on screen character like Vince or Stephanie McMahon were. You can't replicate that. Like, you just, no. like, Vince McMahon was arguably the best heel. I mean, JR still says to this day, he's like, Vince McMahon was the best heel in the Attitude Era. He was the number one heel in the Attitude Era. He had the number one babyface and the number one heel together fighting, you know, one another. Um, and he says he was the best heel. Dixie Carter wanted to be that. You can't be – not everybody can be Vince McMahon or no, Stephanie McMahon.
1: No. I mean, Bischoff couldn't even do it.
0: Right. And Bischoff was really good. Yeah, he was three. good, right. Right. Bischoff <laughs> was really good. Now, the thing is, he was doing it before Vince McMahon. Right. Because, again, when he was in the NWO, that was before Vince mm-hmm. became – because, really, Vince became Mr. McMahon after the Montreal Screwjob. Right. Because yep. he thought – when he did the promo about Brett Screwed Brett, he thought he was being the baby face. He thought he was being the good guy in that scenario. And people didn't buy it. No. And then and then the writers like Bruce and, and Pat Patterson were like, well, why don't you embrace that? Like, why yeah. don't you become a bad guy? Why don't you become a heel? And then the whole thing with Austin... You know, starts because nope. that was the Mike Tyson, you know, yep. when they when they touched and all that, and they got in the before WrestleMania, they got in the fight and all that kind of stuff. Yep. And Vince is like, you ruined it. You ruined it. I mean, it' great, great. I mean, that's one of the great scenes yeah. of all time in raw history. But um, but, you know, he started that kind of turn. And then obviously, when Austin won the title, he made Steve come out in a suit and gave him the new belt and all that kind of and then the McMahon, you know, uh, Austin feud, you know, yeah. starts. But no one was better than Vince at doing that. Like nobody could have done that. But it is funny. Like you get knockoff TNA Dixie Carter that's trying to do all of that. <laughs> you know, and and I, I I guess that's her real name. Um,
1: yeah, that is her real name. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I
0: mean, again, she's not not the actress from right. Yeah. From, no, you know, I, I from,
1: found her. Yeah, she's that's her real name. Yeah.
0: I mean, her Bob was her, her father was Bob Carter. I yeah. Mean, Bob Carter again was the was the. Was the founder of Panda Energy? Yeah, so, and then
1: she was also married to a music producer.
0: Yes, um, yeah. she's still married to this day, <laughs> I do believe. Yeah, uh, she's been married for a long time, but and and there was always rumors about, there was always rumors about her messing around yeah. on this with some of the wrestlers. <laughs> you know, she wanted to li- she wanted to be the she wanted to be the female Vince McMahon. She always said that she wanted to be the female Vince. McMahon. I mean, if you listen to. Bruce's podcast and Eric Bischoff's podcast and some of the other podcasts that, that Jim Cornette has talked about it too. That, you know, she always wanted to be the female Vince McMahon. She thought she could be that. Nobody can be Vince McMahon. No. You know, and and she didn't have the money at stake. Like it was her father that had the money at stake. And that's why he put her in charge is because he didn't want a whole bunch of money being spent on this what do you want to call it? Vanity project right. in wrestling. Right, I mean, he was in the energy business. Right, wrestling was not a winning proposition for him. He was right. not he was not a guy who was risking his fortune on on a wrestling promotion, but he was funding it like he was floating yeah. the money for it. So he wanted to become as profitable as it could, so he could get out of it. Right, yeah. And then eventually they sold to Billy Corrigan, right, again from the Smashing Pumpkins. And I think uh, I think they own it's called Impact now, right? I think yeah. it's called Impact. Billy Corrigan owns it or whatever like that. So. Um, but you know he they wanted to get out of that business or whatever like that and they were well. Just, a, I was
1: about to say with him being a businessman, he knows. I mean, right. listen, it's going to be very hard to be financially competitive against WWE.
0: Right, and they wanted to try to be that, and yeah. and they they were never going to be that, and yeah. and that was the thing that Jeff Jarrett tried to tell them that okay, it's not a it's not bad to be number two, right? Like, but they wanted to try to compete because remember. They went on Monday yeah, nights on, Monday on, night. on sure uh, Spike did. TV. Yep. They went Monday nights with Spike. Um, you know, they were trying to do everything they could to compete with Vince. And you were never going to compete with mm-hmm. Vince. Not not especially at that time of, of, nope. of you know, life. And we're never going to compete with Vince McMahon. But that's what they wanted to do. And they ended up getting crushed for it. Yeah. You know, and they ended up, remember, they ended up signing Kurt Angle and mm-hmm. all these high-priced
1: yeah, guys. Yeah, all the, yeah.
0: Sting, Kevin Nash. Like, they brought on all these high-priced guys, way overpaid for them. Yep. And didn't get anything in return, and and they didn't develop anybody. But it is interesting because Samoa Joe had a lot of great matches there. Obviously mm-hmm. AJ Styles mm-hmm. uh, started in uh, in TNA, um, but they were so overspending on their payroll and stuff like that that they could never put together a coherent TV product, and they just they were getting crushed by the WWE, and they didn't they didn't understand that you can't compete with them like no. like not everybody can compete with WWE, yeah. you know. But anyway, all right. When we come back, uh, we get the love TKO. Chuck Green, in the Kia Studios, sports radio ninety two on the game.